Section nine of British Seabirds by Charles Dixon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Petrels. Of all the seabirds, the petrels are the most pelagic. They are the birds of the wide ocean, even showing small partiality for narrow seas, and chiefly frequenting for breeding purposes only such spots as face the widest expanses of water. They are the most marine of birds, yet they form one of the least apparent features in the bird life of the sea and more especially when that bird life is studied from the coast their crespuscular or nocturnal habits during their short visits to the land to breed their sombre hues their low flight just above the waves all combine in rendering these birds exceptionally difficult of observation the petrels present such exclusively distinctive characteristics that many systematists relegate them to an order by themselves this order is termed tubinaires because the birds containing it have the nostrils tubular a character which serves at a glance to distinguish a petrel from all other species other external characters are their hooded beak webbed feet and long wings more than a hundred species of petrels are known to science which are dispersed throughout the seas and oceans of the world the young as far as known are hatched covered with down but they remain in the nest until capable of flight these birds molt once in the year none of the species are very remarkable for bright coloration although in some the colours brown black grey and white are strongly contrasted several species of petrel wander occasionally to the british seas but only four species breed within our area and of these we now propose to treat fulmar petrel this petrel fulmarus glacialis of ornithologists is very like a small gull in appearance and is one of the largest representatives of its family in the northern hemisphere although it abounds in various parts of the british seas and was said by darwin to be the most numerous bird in the world so oceanic is it in its habits that the wanderer by the shore might not catch a glimpse of a single example during the course of an entire year perhaps this petrel is more frequently observed off our eastern coast than anywhere else except in the vicinity of its breeding place it is often caught in the flight nets on the wash and is said to be a common frequenter of the deep-sea fishing grounds in the north sea occasionally storm-driven birds may be met with close in shore the fulmar petrel is one of the most familiar birds of the high latitudes following the wake of whaling vessels and sealers and known to the sailors by the name of mollymawk in its actions above the sea the fulmar very closely resembles a gull beating about in the same dilatory manner and searching for any food chancing to float upon the surface following in the wake of vessels for miles to pick up the scraps thrown overboard its usual food however appears to be cuttlefish and sorrel it is also very partial to whale blubber it often alights upon the sea either to rest or sleep or to eat its food whilst its flight is not only powerful but capable of being sustained for long periods when searching for food this bird flies close to the waves every now and then gliding along with wings nearly motionless maintaining its speed with a few vigorous beats from time to time the fulmar petrel becomes by far the most interesting in its breeding stations these however are isolated and few in the british area there is only one important nesting place of this species and that is at st kilda a group of rocky turf-covered islets that form an ideal haunt for every species of petrel that frequents the british seas or even a considerable portion of the north atlantic a fortnight's yawn on st kilda has made me familiar with many of the fulmar's habits during the breeding season it is the bird of all others characteristic of the place one is reminded of its presence in many ways but most persistently by the strong smell emitted by this and all birds of the petrel family 
which scents everything and every person on the islands. The fulmar is extremely gregarious during the breeding season, and many thousands of birds congregate here during the summer. It is also exceedingly attached to its breeding places, visiting them season by season, for time out of mind, and very probably pairs for life. At St. Kilda, its favourite nesting places are on the downlight cliffs, places where the soil is deep and loamy, and allows the bird to excavate a hollow of varying depth, where there is not sufficient accommodation of this kind for all, and great numbers have to resort to the ledges, crevices, and hollows on the face of the beetling cliffs, or find a site in some cranny amongst the rough, piled-up masses of rock. Wherever possible, the fulmar evidently likes to burrow into the ground, but the hole in most cases is not big enough to conceal the bird. These hollows are lined with little dry grass, but in many instances a nest of no kind is made. Some of the nests I examined on the bare ledges of the cliffs were made of small bits of rock. Vast numbers of nests are made close together, and from a distance the sitting birds, all blended together, look like patches of snow. The fulmar lays but a single egg each season, white in colour, rough and chalky in texture, and with a strong, pungent smell, which is retained by the shell for years after the egg has been taken. This egg is laid in May. There are few more stirring sights in the bird world than a colony of fulmars. Time can never efface the vivid scene that was presented to me, as for the first time I peered over the mighty cliff Conacher and viewed the countless hosts of fulmars at their nesting places. Just before the summit was reached, a few fulmars could be seen flying above the cliff, then dropping behind the ridge out of sight. When I got to the top and looked over, the scene became grand, imposing, indescribable. The suddenness of it all was well-nigh overpowering. One moment, not a bird to be seen. The next, countless thousands of drifting birds flying about in all directions along the face of the cliffs, passing to and fro, backs and forwards, like snowflakes in a gentle breeze, as far as the eye could follow them. All the fulmars drifted to and fro in silence. Not a single bird uttered a cry. No bird flies more gracefully than this petrel. It seems to float in the air without effort, often passing to and fro for minutes together without perceptibly moving its wings. They are remarkably tame and confining birds, flying past one at arm's length, the bright black eye contrasting strongly with the snowy plumage. When disturbed by the firing of a gun, the fulmars and other seabirds leave the rocks in masses so dense that one is apt to think the entire face of the cliffs is crumbling away. Large numbers of fulmars are sneered by the natives, and upwards of 20,000 young birds are killed every season at St. Kilda, which, after the fat and oil are extracted from them, are salted and kept for food. When caught, the fulmar vomits a quantity of clear amber-coloured oil, and a little flows from the nostrils. During the fulmar harvest in autumn, the birds, as they are taken, are made to vomit this oil into dried gullets of the gannet, which the fowler carries for the purpose hung round his waist. This oil is valued as a sheep dressing, and is said to be a sovereign remedy for rheumatism. A typical race of the fulmar is an inhabitant of the North Atlantic Basin, ranging southwards in winter as low as the latitude of New York in the west and Gibraltar in the east. Fork-tailed petrel A year after this species was first described by Viliot under the name of Procellaria leucohoa, it was discovered at St. Kilda by Bullock. This was early in the present century, but the islands, known collectively by that name, still continue to be its most famous breeding place in our area, or even in Europe. Three years after its discovery, it was rechristened P. Leachy by the French naturalist Temenic, a name which has found favour with many writers. The fork-tailed petrel is known to breed on North Rona, and at some other spots in the Outer Hebrides, as well as on the Blaskets, 
off the coast of Kerry. There can be little doubt that many other breeding stations of this petrel remain to be discovered. This species, readily distinguished from the stormy petrel by its larger size and deeply forked tail, is rarely seen near the land unless during the breeding season, or when driven thence by boisterous weather. I have known it to be caught in the flight nets on the mud banks off the wash, whilst it is of tolerably frequent occurrence elsewhere off our eastern and southern coasts. In its habits generally, it very closely resembles its better-known ally, the stormy petrel. During the non-breeding season, it wanders vast distances from land, sleeping and resting on the sea when tired, following ships for miles, fluttering along close to the ocean, now down in the trough of the wave, and on skimming over the crest to half-fly, half-run, with patting feet, down the smooth surface of the next. Except during the breeding season, this petrel is not very gregarious, it may often be seen in parties of perhaps half a dozen scattered over a considerable surface of water the exact nature of the food of this species is apparently unknown it is said in a vague and general way to feed on crustaceans and small mollusks and the scraps of refuse cast from passing vessels but birds which i have dissected contain similar substances to those found in the fulmar a nearly clear oil mingled with the jaws of cuttlefish and scraps of sorrel the fork-tailed petrel resorts to its breeding stations to nest in June. Although gregarious during this period, its colonies are never so large as those of the fulmar. Most probably the bird pairs for life, and returns season by season to certain spots to rear its young. The largest colony of this petrel known to me is at St. Kilda. Here its principal colony is located on the island of Soe, but there is another and smaller one on Dune, and doubtless others on Bore. At the colony on Dune, the ground is full of long winding burrows, probably disused nesting holes of puffins and shearwaters, and in these the fork-tailed petrels have made their nests, in some cases one earth accommodating several pairs of birds. Usually the selected burrows are in the loamy soil near the summit of the cliffs, but, in some cases, the birds will select a hole or crevice, in ruined masonry or in rocks. At the end of the burrow, or crevice, a scanty nest of dry grass is formed, but in some cases no provision whatever is made. Here the female deposits a single egg, white, with a zone of dust-like brown specks round the larger end. These eggs are remarkably fragile, and very chalky in texture. The fork-tailed petrel is a close sitter, remaining brooding over its egg until dragged out. Many nests may be found within an area of a few yards. This petrel is not seen abroad much at its breeding places during daylight. All day long the little birds skulk in their burrows, but with the approach of night they begin to sally forth from their retreats and nests and their fluttering forms may be seen flitting to and fro in the deepening gloom, backwards and forwards, to and from the sea. The fork-tailed petrel is not a very noisy bird. Those that I dragged from their nests uttered as few squeaking notes, but at night the species becomes more garrulous. But three breeding stations of this petrel are known, one in the North Pacific, another in the Bay of Fundy, and the third within the British area. Its migrations are limited. Stormy Petrel this diminutive species, the Procellaria pelagica of Linnaeus and most modern writers, and the mother carries chicken of mariners, is perhaps the best known of the petrels that frequent the British seas. It is remarkable for being the smallest web-footed bird, a nearly black little creature, with a white patch on the upper tail coverts. Small as this petrel is, it is just as oceanic in its haunts as its larger and more robust congeners. During boisterous weather, especially about the period of the equinoctial gales in autumn, stormy petrels are not unfrequently driven some distant inland, 
and examples of this species have been picked up more or less exhausted even in the centre of busy towns at this season it is also noticed a good deal about certain lighthouses at night after rough nights i have seen odd stormy petrels flying over the fishermen's cottages like swallows and many of them are or used to be caught in the flight nets in the wash the actions of this petrel at sea are characteristic of its congeners it flies about in the same fluttering manner following the curves of the waves and pattering along their sloping surfaces with its tiny webbed feet it may be met with hundreds of miles from land following ships or paying a vessel a short visit then disappearing again lost in the lonely wastes of water it is able to weather many a storm at sea doubtless obtaining much shelter in the deep hollows of the mighty waves it may be seen flitting about the storm-stirred sea quite at ease and from this fact it is very popularly believed to be a harbinger of bad weather and disliked accordingly by sailors except during the breeding season the stormy petrel rarely visits the land it rests and sleeps upon the sea swimming just as buoyantly as a duck it is seldom seen to alight however unless to pick up some morsel of food and rarely remains long upon the water at its breeding stations it is certainly very nocturnal in its habits but otherwise it may be seen at all hours of the day fluttering above the sea its food probably consists almost entirely of cuttlefish i have dissected many specimens of this petrel and never found anything but oil mixed with sorrel in the stomach when taken in the hand the bird usually throws up a drop of this oil or squirts a little from the nostrils just as the larger fork-tailed petrel will do i have never heard the stormy petrel utter a sound except at the breeding stations where its note is a noisy twitter it is more or less gregarious at all times of the year and generally roams the sea in small scattered parties but its gatherings are most extensive at certain of its breeding stations it is a difficult matter to specify with any degree of exactness the breeding stations of such a secretive species of the stormy petrel it may breed for years in a place and the fact never become known a specially interesting instance of this has lately occurred within my own experience lundy island has long been thought to be the most easterly breeding station of the stormy petrel in england but all the time for aught we know to the contrary it was regularly nested on the big rock in tor bay where during last season eighteen ninety five a young bird was taken and is now preserved in the torquay natural history society's museum the egg has been taken here several years ago with the parent bird the latest nest owed its discovery to the acuteness of a dog attracted by the strong smell emitted by this petrel here then was the stormy petrel breeding actually within sight of my front windows and i giving lundy island and the scilly islands as its only nesting places in the vicinity i have seen this petrel on the whiting grounds outside tor bay and manx shearwaters too during summer but where they breed is another matter so skulking and secretive are their movements near and on the land so far as is known there is no breeding place of the stormy petrel on the entire eastern coastline of england and scotland the german ocean is a landlocked sea and it is more than probable the stormy petrel breeds nowhere on its coasts but that its nesting places extend far up the english channel much further east than tor bay there can be little doubt there are many known breeding places of this petrel from the scilly islands northwards along the west coast of england wales and scotland to the shetlands and many others round the coasts of ireland the favourite breeding haunts of the stormy petrel are rocky islands rising in uneven turf-clad downs strewn with masses of rock and stones the bird probably pairs for life and is more or less gregarious at its breeding places the slight nest of dry grass is placed in an old rabbit earth or puffin burrow 
under a rock or heap of loose stones or in ruins and amongst masonry in some cases no nest whatsoever is made the single egg is normally laid in june this is pure white in ground colour with a faint zone of minute dust-like red specks round the larger end like all its kindred the stormy petrel is a close sitter remaining in its hole until dragged out it is also crespuscular in its habits at its nesting places becoming lively at dusk when it may be seen flitting to and from the sea in a silent bat-like manner so far as is known the breeding area of the stormy petrel is exclusively confined to the islands and coasts of the east atlantic manx shearwater the shearwaters are a well-defined group of petrels numbering twenty or more species distinguished by their long slender bill long wings and short tails of the full mask bear a superficial resemblance to the gulls so may the shearwaters be compared with the auks four of these birds are known to visit the british seas and coasts but only one of them the manx shearwater puffinus anglorum is known to breed within our limits and to occur in any abundance the upper parts of this shearwater are black the lower parts white the manx shearwater is so far as is known a resident in the british seas and widely distributed along our coast during the season of reproduction like its allies the petrels this shearwater is closely attached to the open sea living for the most part away from the shore and only frequenting land during its nesting period its flight is much more erratic and rapid than that of the small petrels of a gull-like former and reminds one more of the swift it may be seen dashing impetuously along close above the waves this way and that one moment high above the horizon the next deep down in the trough of the billows pausing here and there for a moment with rapid beating wings legs let down and feet striking the water to pick up some scrap of food during the breeding season it is for the most part nocturnal in its habits but at other times it seems to be abroad both by day and night and it can swim well and buoyantly i know from abundant experience whether it dives as some writers assert i am not prepared to say some petrels however are habitually known to do so as for instance the species composing the genus halodroma shearwaters delight in a rough sea and a brewing storm every bit as much as the smaller petrels no weather seems too boisterous for them when on our rough night voyage to st kilda we must have passed hundreds of shearwaters holding high carnival above the grey waves flitting round our vessel in weird erratic flight like bird ghosts their gambols in the gloom being most interesting so far as my experience extends the food of the manx shearwater consists entirely of cuttlefish and sorrel but the bird will pick up various scraps thrown from vessels at st kilda the shearwater is regarded as a delicacy the natives also obtain quantities of oil from it throughout the summer the manx shearwater is nocturnal and at the approach of darkness becomes very garrulous its note may be expressed as kitty coo after two or three times in succession and then a pause so far as i could determine this note is never uttered by the bird at sea only when flying about its breeding station or in or near its burrow and is only heard at night at st kilda the island of soe is the grand breeding place of the shearwater the st kildans visit this island at times during the breeding season going at night knocking down the birds as they flutter about and dragging others from their nests four hundred shearwaters are sometimes slain thus in a single night the manx shearwater is a somewhat late breeder its eggs being laid towards the end of may or during the first half of june there are no known breeding places of this bird along the eastern coastline of scotland and england nor have any yet been discovered on the south coast of england although i am positive the species nests in the south hams of devon 
its breeding area so far as it is known is almost precisely the same as that of the stormy petrel its favourite nesting places are islands with good oceanic aspect covered with turf and soft loamy soil although gregarious during this period many scattered pairs breed here and there along the coast this bird probably pairs for life returning year by year to a favourite nesting place it usually excavates a long and often winding burrow making a slight nest of dry grass at the end on which is laid a single white egg both birds assist in making this burrow which often runs under some mass of rocks and many holes are begun and deserted for no apparent reason just as we find to be the case with the sand martin and other hole boring species at the entrance of all of the holes that are occupied there is a considerable heap of droppings few if any shearwaters are astir even at a populous breeding station during the day all keep closely to their burrows remaining stolidly upon their nest until dragged forth struggling into the light many burrows are made close together and in some cases one main entrance will lead to several chambers each containing a nest end of section nine